the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tomorrow can be bigger. Just grow, let the world overflow. Yeah. Live a life bigger than yourself. You're created for greatness. Live a life bigger than yourself. Welcome to Live Big with Bishop Derek Greer, Senior Pastor of Grace Church in Dumfries, Virginia. Visit gracechurchva.org for this message and to find out more about how you can grow in Christ. We serve a big God, and we believe that His Word calls for us to live big. So our prayer is that this broadcast empowers you to live a life so big that it blesses everyone and everything around you. Let's get into the teaching. Father, I pray right now you open eyes, illuminate hearts. I pray that uh, across the country and even around the world that our hearts are knit together as we learn more about Jesus today. We give you honor in advance for all you do. And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and we all say amen. Well, in a couple moments, we're going to get uh, started in part five of our Seven Churches uh, series. We have covered the church of Ephesus. We have covered the church of Smyrna. Uh, Today, we're going to look at the church of uh, Pergamos. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12. And to the angel of the church. Now, by now, we're in the... uh, third iteration or the third church here. And at this point, you should notice a pattern. Each letter begins by acknowledging the bishop or the lead pastor of the congregation uh, in that city. And this is really important. Never get so anointed, never get uh, so uh, self-important that you no longer feel a need to show respect and, and acknowledge other People, You know, I'm really not impressed by people's titles, social status, uh, uh, fame, but what does impress me is how we treat others. He said, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos. Now, Pergamos was the uh, political capital of the province of Asia. Now, it's not the continent of Asia. I'm not speaking of the continent of Asia. I'm speaking of uh, what the Romans called at that time the province of Asia, which is largely uh, modern-day uh, Turkey. And last week, I mentioned that Ephesus, Pergamos, and Smyrna uh, competed uh, for, for, for the title uh, of, of the city that would be called the first city of Asia. And Smyrna uh, really, I think, uh, typically won that title, but Pergamos was, was close behind. And again, it was the political center, a lot like our Washington, D.C., and perhaps you can say that Smyrna was a little bit like uh, New York City uh, in its heyday. Uh, but Pergamos here was... Uh, uh, especially known for the worship of uh, a deity that actually uh, we still see remnants of this deity today. His name was Asclepius, and he was the god of healing or the god of 
knowledge. And uh, he was represented by a snake. And, uh, you know, what, what would happen is sick people would go to the temple of uh, Asclepius and uh, they would sleep. It was a dark temple. Uh, they get caught, so what have you, and they, they'd spend the night. And here was the thinking of those that worship Asclepion. If a snake slithered on you uh, during the course of the night, that was considered a touch of the God. And at that point, you were expected to uh, be healed or, or, or step into a new level of health. And today, uh, that's why the image for modern medicine is this staff with two snakes. Now, at one point, I, I thought that it represented the the uh, pole that Moses uh, had lifted up for healing, um, and uh, that but but that was a singular snake. But uh, you see that it really represents Asclepius because there's two snakes there. And uh, I'm really glad, though, that we're in the 21st century, that in order to uh, get healed, we, we don't have to uh, try to uh, sleep with snakes. Uh, but he says here, write these things, he who says or he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Again, you, you probably see a pattern, and you're going to see this throughout all of the seven letters. In each letter, after John honored the leader, and again, it costs us nothing to respect people and to honor people, he then reminded the church of an aspect of Jesus that was seen in chapter 1, uh, and we covered that in, in some detail a couple of weeks ago. So, But, but, but to this church at uh, uh, Pergamos, uh, out of all that, he could have been his white hair. It could have been his feet like bronze. There were lots of things in that image that uh, he could have represent. Uh, he could have uh, used to represent uh, him to this church. But uh, he he emphasized the tongue like a a two edged sword. Why? Because everything we we saw about Jesus in that vision had application uh, to the seven churches, and Jesus had something very sharp to say. He had a truth to defend. And Jesus was not about to pull any punches here. He says in verse 13, I know your works. Again, you see the pattern. Each church, he pays attention to, to what they uh, did and, and how they, they live. So Jesus cares about our church attendance. He, he cares about our praise, but also don't forget, he watches closely what we do. And he has not changed. In fact, let's just go back. I just want to, uh, reiterate to you or make clear to you, it's the same Jesus. He did not change in character after his resurrection. He just changed in form. Watch the types of things that Jesus did while he was still on the earth. Now, Jesus sat opposite the temple and saw how the people put money into the treasury. So Jesus was literally standing in the treasury with his men with him, his disciples. Actually, there were some ladies amongst them, uh, the disciples as well. When you read the Bible closely, you understand he traveled with quite a few people. Uh, but he's standing there watching the offering. And uh, uh, I, I want you to imagine Imagine if, you know, as you, you know, plugged in your, your, uh, offering amount this week to, to give to church. If I was standing over your shoulder and watching you either write that check or, 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 or use your, the, the internet. So Jesus standing in the treasury and ultimately all this worship is to him, is to the one uh, true God and many who were rich put in much. So Oprah, Tyler, Perry and, and Bezos, they all did their thing and they all gave, but Jesus was not impressed. Then one poor widow came and threw in two little mites, which makes 
a quadrant or makes a quadrants. The, the point here is, 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 is this is a very, very, very small amount of money, less than a penny in today's money. So this lady did not have a lot to offer. Uh, you know, that, that, that penny she could have used for, 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 for something else. This was a real uh, sacrifice to her. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, so he not only watched people giving the offering, Jesus now offers commentary, public commentary about what happened in the offering. Jesus is something else. How many of us could, could handle Jesus as our pastor? He said, assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. Now, most people say they'll give more when they have more, but this widow simply put in her best. For they all put in out of their abundance, out of uh, their, 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 you know, their overflow or what was left over. But she, out of her poverty, out of her lack, out of her need, put in all she had, her whole livelihood. So when Jesus judges our, our works, he's not to call it you know, for whatever it is. He's not trying to impress anybody or sage anybody. You know, Jesus is for real. And it's not about the amount you give according to Jesus, but the percentage that Jesus really noticed and honored here. Back to verse 13. He said, I know your works. He's paying attention, not just to what we say, but what we do, I know your what works. I'm fully acquainted with how you live in this thing and what you're doing and where you dwell and where Satan's, watch this, throne is. Now, I don't understand all that Jesus is saying here, but since Pergamum was the political capital of the province of Asia that covered much of modern day Turkey, it seemed that Pergamos uh, was the center or, or authorized uh, the persecution that took place in other cities like Smyrna we just uh, read about last uh, week. You know, when, when evil is legalized, everyone gets hurt. And you hold fast to my name. So I, there's a real satanic operation in the city. There's satanic power being released against the church but you have stood your ground and, and you have held fast to my name, my character, and my truth. So despite the animosity that, uh, you know, folks at that time uh, felt, felt that Christians were not inclusive enough. Uh, they, they felt that, that Christians were, were narrow-minded because they refused to worship other deities. Uh, also, they were, they were accused of, uh, of, of, of being unpatriotic because uh, they believed that there was only one way to the Father and they would not worship uh, Caesar. But here's what I want you to, to, to think about. How can we be mad at God for not giving us several ways to him when we didn't even deserve one way? And, uh, you know, people can become very entitled. Uh, God did not need to improve the way that he made for us, so he didn't have to send another son, if you will. Matter of fact, he doesn't have another son to send. He did it perfectly through Jesus, so nothing else needs to be added. But many of us just feel we need all these options. But the reality is, if there were seven options, they would say, well, why is God so confusing, etc. And 
they did not or you did not deny my faith. Now, I want you to notice, at least in the New King James Version, the capital my here. Uh, a lot of people preach a faith. But the question Jesus asked and will ask me and ask you is, are you preaching uh, my faith? Are you preaching uh, the faith that I taught in, in Matthew, Mark and Luke and John and in Acts through uh, Revelation? You know, the, the, the pressure today to change the message of Jesus Christ, the message of the Bible is as intense as it's ever been in the United States uh, of America. But hey, we were given this life because uh, we, God made us strong enough to live it. So, you know, if we're in it, God must have the grace for us to get through it. So hold to your faith, stick to your principles, no matter what the world around you says, and just keep holding on and God will come through for each of us. And you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, uh, who was my faithful martyr. Now, we don't know who Antipas was in, in history, but the fact we don't know says, says a whole lot. It lets us know that God pays attention even to the little people. You don't have to be famous to make God proud. And he was killed or who was killed among you where Satan dwells. It seems that some government leader uh, probably killed him. But I want you to notice here that Satan is mentioned twice in just one verse. And this double mention causes us to uh, cause the statement to become emphatic. And what God's trying to tell us is, hey, I'm not the cause of the persecution. I, I'm not the cause of all the hatred against the Christians. It is the devil. And, and it's the devil that that is trying to oppress, hurt and, and harm and do the things that's uh, being done today uh, against Christ's Cause, but one of the most successful strategies that uh, the, the devil uses really is to make us suffer, and then to try to convince us that that, that God was the one who hurt us. And this again was the case then. You know, the, the church was being persecuted, and people were saying, "Well, you're being persecuted because God doesn't love the church. God's not for the church, and and ultimately you're bad people, uh, and, and all the rest." But it's all a trick and a deception of the enemy. All who live righteous in Christ will suffer persecution. So all you have to do is start going the right way. You're going to start sticking out like a thumb and somebody's going to have something to say. But here's where it gets tough. Verse 14. So Jesus has begun with commending them. But in verse 14, he says, but I have a few things, not just one. It was a couple, a few things against you. And parents, we can learn a whole lot from Jesus's approach here. First, he celebrated the things that uh, the church did right before mentioning the things they did wrong. So before we make withdrawals from people, we have to make sure that we've made adequate deposits. So, you know, if, if I'm a, a, a real distant father and all I do is criticize my children, uh, it's just going to create a whole lot of resentment and all the rest. You have to make investments in your children if you're going to be able to direct them and discipline them uh, properly. But I have a few things, more than one. I said a couple, a couple of minutes ago, but few means more than two. So there were several items against you. You see, with Jesus, our right does not excuse our wrong. Stay with me. Now, you may be right about the virgin birth. You may uh, be right about speaking in tongues. You, you may be absolutely right about the resurrection. You might have your doctrine down, but if you are not kind to people, what is 
the point. And, and a lot of folks, they get a few things right, and then they just focus on what's right, thinking that that makes everything else okay. So, yeah, they were doing some right things, some good things, some things that God was blessing and appreciated and celebrating here. But he still had issues he had to deal with. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine. Doctrine here, speaking of a sophisticated way of, of, of looking at things, uh, hold the doctrine of Balaam. Let's put that better. A sophisticated system of thinking who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Now, most of us don't know what he's talking about here, but in Numbers uh, 22 through 24, and it picks it up again, I think around 29 uh, of Numbers, uh, what happened was Balak tried to hire Balaam, who was basically uh, a glorified witch doctor, if you will, and he hired him to curse the Israelites. The Israelites had just, you know, the Red Sea parted, and, and man, they, they were just wiping out everybody uh, in their way, so Balaam was like, hey, you know, they believed in the supernatural back then and they, they, they believed in, 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 in things that today we, we say is, uh, passe, but, uh, they, they believed in, in this stuff. And, and unfortunately, well, for us, fortunately, but, uh, unfortunately for Balaam and Balak, they, they weren't successful putting a curse and curses are real, by the way. Uh, that, that, that stuff is real, but thank you. Uh, thank God for the cross because he's redeemed us from the curse of the law and any other curse that could try to come upon us. Actually, the proverb, book of Proverbs says a curse undeserved will not alight or will not settle, will not set. But the point here is the, the witch doctor, you know, that they, they got the witch doctor, said curse, you know, this army. That, that's coming in our direction. Actually, they, they, they weren't necessarily an army, but uh, uh, cursed them. And uh, in the spirit realm, he saw that he, he couldn't do it. So what he decided to do is I'm going to do the next best thing. So what he did, and the Bible says it a little bit differently, but what he did is he sent some strippers into the camp. And since he couldn't curse them, what he did is he tempted them so that they might curse themselves. Pay attention to what I'm saying. There is a curse on sin. Now, God may not want to curse you, and you might be under the blood, and and maybe in some respect you are not cursed, but there are deeds that are cursed. And when you participate in those deeds, you bring curses into your life. I don't know if I'm getting any amens right now, but that was a really, really powerful uh, point. But here's the deal. God's for you. The devil can't stop you. Uh, People can't stop you. Problems can't stop you. The only one who can stop you is you. And uh, this was the deal with, with the Israelites. Uh, the only way the devil couldn't stop them, the witch doctor couldn't stop them, the only way they could be stopped is if they decided to walk away from God's truth. So Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, and that's again when he sent in the strippers, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and watch this, and commit sexual immorality. Uh, you know, that there were people in this church that felt who they slept with just didn't matter. They, they felt they were more spiritually mature than to be concerned about uh, sexual matters. They, they kind of thought all this Bible purity stuff was, was out of date. But, but nothing has stolen more dreams, dashed more hopes, broken up more families, caused more lifelong diseases, and messed up more people psychologically than our propensity to disregard God's command regarding sexual purity. Uh, that, that's, that's so real. Um, we, 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 we act like, 
you know what, there, there's no consequences, but then our soul is connected to six or seven different people. We can't make good decisions, clear decisions, because we're mostly connected in ways we, we, we should not. And, and it, it, it's just a whole lot of stuff happens. There's no trust in marriages. Children are with only, you know, one parent uh, in, in the home at, at times, all because, you know, the sexual purity thing was, was a joke. But when you begin to disregard it, uh, it can really impact your life in a very, very serious way. Verse 15. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now, who are these Nicolaitans? Uh, well, Irenaeus, one of the earliest uh, church fathers here, he tells us that the Nicolaitans was a group within the church. Actually, they say that this group came out of the uh, deacon Nicholas uh, that was anointed, uh, appointed by the apostles in, in, in the book of Acts. But uh, th- this group emerged where they felt that as, as believers, they were not obligated to uh, exercise any sexual restraint. Uh, also, there was a mindset, hey, we got to, you know, we're in the world and, and we got to get along with people and, and God will understand. And this is the way we, we, we do things. This was the mentality, you know, I'll do it. And, and even if I'm wrong, God, God will uh, forgive it. So this was uh, a group within the church that, you know, and, and trying to make it uh, an almost anything goes uh, type of church. But when the concept of love is divorced from Jesus's concept of truth, it's the children who suffer. The most. So this church got some things right, but they also got some very, very serious things wrong. And speaking of both the Nicolaitans and, and uh, what uh, Balaam did, watch what Jesus says. Which thing I hate? There's not much stronger language than to say I hate. Hate some. Didn't say I don't like it. I prefer, you know, you think a little bit differently. He said, which thing I passionately hate. Here's the question. How could a loving Jesus hate? He better hate. A good doctor hates cancer. A good lawyer hates injustice. And the Bible says those who love the Lord hate evil. See, Jesus not only wants to be our Savior, he wants to be our Lord. And anything short of that, he hates. And in verse 16, he says, repent. He didn't kick these people out of the church. That's not what he did. But he did ask them, and he was requiring that they turn around. And here's the deal, you know, even at Grace Church, if you stick around here long, you can see all different types of things, all different types of people, all different types of, uh, of lifestyles. But what you're going to find over time is it's only those that are open to the Holy Spirit, open to the word of God, those that are willing to change and grow that stick around and stay. So Jesus was giving them an opportunity. He wasn't saying out. He was saying, hey, guys, you need to change, and I'll help you change. I'll walk you through the change. I'll coach you through the change, but I need you to uh, repent, make a U-turn, change direction, about face. Repent, but watch this, or else. How many of you know an or else from God is not a good thing? So Jesus 
throws in an or else. This is why he, he said, I'm, I'm liking what I'm about to tell you guys to the sword coming out of my mouth because I'm serious and I'm going to fight against some things and I'm going to deal with some things uh, in this church. He says, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. What Jesus was saying is if, hey guys, if y'all keep on pushing me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to deal with your lifestyle. I'm going to have to deal with your choices. You see, when I was a kid, the world was a little different. So don't judge me. But, you know, if you lived, if you've been around uh, long enough uh, in the communities I lived in, you, you know the, 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 the same thing I know. But back when I was a kid, you know, if a kid came running home because some bully was picking on him, and typically, you know, what the parent would do, they'd meet her right at the door and say, hey, you have a choice. You, you can deal with the bully picking on you or you can deal with me. And the kid had a choice. And many times the kid decided, you know what, I think I'd rather deal with the bully than my 250-pound dad. And what God is saying to us and he's saying to this church, if you don't go out there and fight against this bully, the world, the devil, the flesh, that's picking on you, trying to destroy you, trying to take you apart, trying to diminish you, trying to belittle you, trying to capture and enslave you, you're going to have to come home and fight me. So what he was saying to this pastor, he's saying, you're going to have to address some things. What he was saying to the leaders of the church, hey, you're going to have to address some things. What he was saying to the church, you're going to have to address some things. And you have a choice. You can fight against God, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. Or you could fight against all those, the, 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 the inclinations and the, the pressure and the patterns of the world that are trying to press you into uh, its mold. And here's the deal. We're going to have to fight one way or the other. So the question is, do you want to spend your life fighting against God? Or do you want to resist the devil? I would rather spend my life resisting the devil, embracing God, than fighting uh, God and embracing the devil. This has been Live Big with Bishop Derek Greer, the radio broadcast ministry of Grace Church in Dumfries, Virginia. It is our sincere prayer that you are blessed and empowered to live a life bigger than yourself today. Access this message and much more for free at gracechurchva.org. We also invite you to join the Grace Church family for worship online every Sunday and Wednesday on social media at gracechurchva or on our website at gracechurchva.org. That's our time for today. Until next time, remember, live big.